Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Moses talking to God as we pick up in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now the third month... When the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, in the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim, and they were come to the desert of Sinai, and they had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. First of all, God said to Moses, Now you tell them and point out to them what I have already done for them. I have delivered them from the Egyptians. I carried them on eagles' wings to bring them to myself. Now, therefore, that's the past, now the present. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then, as far as the future, ye shall be a special treasure unto me above all of the people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, a priest was a man who stood before God representing the people, but he also stood before the people representing God. And so being a kingdom of priests, they were to be a special people who would represent God before the world. God is looking for people to represent him. And so in a priestly kind of a ministry in representing God before the world, Israel was to be God's representative to the world. That was God's desire and intention for these people, that they might represent him to the world, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, These are the words God said that you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and he called for the elders of the people and he laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. What a rash promise. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now at this point Moses was a priest. That is, He was going before God, speaking for the people, and then he was coming to the people and speaking for God. Christ has become our great high priest. He represents us to the Father, and he represents the Father to us. He's our great high priest. So there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, our great high priest. But Moses was the priest, and in the Old Testament, this was always the purpose of the priest, to represent the people to God, to go into God, speak for the people, and then come to the people and speak for God. And so here's Moses operating in that whole 
concept of priesthood. And so he goes back to God and he says, hey, they said they'll, they'll buy it. Everything you say, they'll do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come to thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Now the washing of their clothes was actually just a symbolic action. The people were to really cleanse themselves before God. And the washing of their clothes being a symbolic action that spoke of, of just the, the setting of themselves or the washing of themselves, of their hearts, their minds, their lives. And it means to, the sanctify means to set apart for, for use. And so here I'm, calls the people to sanctify themselves and, and to wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all of the people on Mount Sinai. So let the people sanctify themselves. Really, you know, wash themselves, get themselves pure and all. Because the third day is going to be a big day. I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. It's going to be an awesome day. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it, for whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. And there shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount to the people, and he sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, and come not at your wives. In other words, they were to refrain from sexual relations. Uh, they were just to really set themselves aside for God for these three days. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of a trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. Can you imagine what that must have been when, when, when God began to demonstrate himself to these people in this way? That there came down there on Mount Sinai this, this smoke, there was this blasting trumpet sound and the fire rolling around and the lightnings and the thunders and the thick cloud. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mountain or away from the mountain. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace while the mount shook greatly." So the mountain was shaking violently. The smoke was ascending like a furnace, and there was this great blast like a trumpet. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down and charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priest also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Now, 
Verse 22 indicates that perhaps some of the priests thought, well, we don't have to sanctify ourselves. That's the common people. And some of the priests apparently didn't sanctify themselves. And in the book of Hebrews, we read where, where some of the priests on this day died. And so Moses is, is told to tell the priests that they're not excluded from this. A lot of times people think, well, I'm so holy, you know, and I'm above the general rules, and, and I'm some kind of, God makes some kind of a special concession for me, but such is not the case. Verse 25 of Hebrews 12, See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying yet once more, I'll shake not the earth only, but heaven. So in Hebrews, referring to this, speaks of some who perished. And so evidently some of the priests, and the priests also which come near to the Lord, let them sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth on them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain, sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get down, and you shall come up, you and Aaron with you, but let not the priest or the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto them and the people, and he spake unto them. And God spake these words, saying, Now the people said, All that the Lord commands, we will do. All right, this is what the Lord has spoken now. These are the commandments of God. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. First of all, I am Jehovah thy God. The word Jehovah is a beautiful word. It is a verb which means the becoming one. A word by which God expresses himself and that which, in, in that which he desires to be to his people. God wishes to become to you whatever your need might be. The becoming one, Yahweh, a, a verb to be. And so God becoming to you, I am Yahweh, thy God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, that doesn't mean that God has to, you know, that God is first in your life and then you can have all other kind of gods as long as he's first God in your life. Before in the sense of precedence, you know, I've got to be the greatest God of your life and then you can have all kinds of gods under me. No. Before that is in the presence of me, you're to worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. You're not to have any other gods. He is to be the exclusive God of your life. You shall have no other gods in the presence of me, before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. 
So the prohibition of making graven images, and it goes actually of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, which would include then the angelic beings, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, whatever those creatures might look like. Thou shalt not make them, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Now, men have always been guilty of making their own gods. Man is conscious of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, the earth showeth forth his handiwork, and there is a universal consciousness of God in every culture of man. Concepts, ideas of God exist. Now, Many men have been guilty of making their own gods. And a man, when he makes his own god, usually starts out with this premise. If I were God, this is what I would be. This is what I would do. This is how I would respond. This is how I would react. And so the Greeks made their own gods. And in your Greek mythology, you have their concepts of God, which are really an expression of what they would be if they were God. Now, some fellow having been in love with a girl and another suitor won her away from him, if I were God, you know, I could live up there and I could bring magic potions and I could use my powers and then she would be mine instead of his. And so you have... Your gods that are intertwining themselves in the love affairs of man and, and all of these kind of things because if I were God, I would use these powers for an advantage in my relationship with men. And, and thus, you find that is sort of a basis of your Greek mythology. Men creating their own gods. When a man makes a god, he actually makes the god like himself. A man's God is usually a projection of himself. A man is oftentimes worshiping himself, a projection of himself, and that is what he is worshiping. Most generally, when a man rejects the true and the living God, his God is just a projection of himself. This is why I sort of cringe whenever anybody comes up to me and says, well, I don't know why God would do this. What they are saying is, if I were God, I wouldn't do that. I could sure figure out a better way of doing it than this way. And that person is close to creating his own God. If I were God, this is what I would do. If I were God, this is how I would respond. And if God doesn't respond the way I would respond, then I get angry. And I say, well, you know, I can't understand why God did that, you know, or why God allowed that, as though God is, has made a real blunder. He really goofed on this one. I don't know how God can be so stupid, you know, is really what you're saying. I can see so much better than that. I could work it out in such a much better way. Oh, if I were only God, what I could do. If you were God, I'd hate to be in this universe very long. 
When Job and his friends were talking about God, well, God is this, and if I were God, that, you know, and, and they were giving all their ideas about what God was and what God was doing and so forth, which were projections of their own selves, their own concepts, putting them in the mind of God, sort of. When God came on the scene, after these guys had all expressed their concepts of, of God and how God works, etc., when God came on the scene, said, all right, Job, gird yourself like a man. You've been talking about things that you really don't know anything about. I'm going to ask you a few questions. First of all, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you think you know so much. How would you like to guide Arcturus through the sky? How would you like to guide Arcturus through the sky? Arcturus is known as the runaway star. Its speed is estimated at 115 miles a second. How would you like the job of guiding that big old thing through the sky, wheeling that thing around at that kind of a speed? Tell me, God said. Can you bind the sweet influence of the Pleiades? And he went on, and hey, Joe said, that's all right, God. You just keep running. I don't know anything about it, you know. Yes, we'd have a difficult time running this universe, I'll tell you. We have a, enough problems just running our own lives. So man makes a God like himself, but then he often makes the God less than himself. As David points out, the gods of the heathen are vain. They cut them out of the forest. Eyes they have, but they cannot see. Ears they have, but they cannot hear. Feet they have, but they cannot walk. Mouths they have, but they cannot speak. So a man made a god like himself. He carved his god out of a piece of tree limb. Sat there day after day, carving out his little god. He carved ears on his little god. He carved eyes on his little god. He carved a nose on his little god. He carved a mouth. He carved feet. But the thing is, the eyes that he carved on his little god can't see. The ears that he carved on his little god can't hear. The mouth that he carved on his little god can't speak. So a man made a god. He made him like himself. Because of, I have ears, I put ears on my God. Because I have a mouth, I put a mouth on my God. Because I have feet, I put a feet on my God. But though I made him like myself, I made him less than myself. Because the feet I put on my little God can't walk. Thus he is less than I am. His eyes can't see. Thus he is less than I am. And then David said, They that have made them have become like the gods they have made. In other words, a man becomes like his God, and if you make a God less than yourself, you are being degraded, you're on the road down, you are becoming less than what you were. If your God can't see, you soon become blind to the things of God. If, you can't, if your God can't hear, you soon become deaf to the voice of God. You become insensate as your God is insensate. That's the danger of making gods. You become like them, but yet they are less than yourself. So God strictly prohibited trying to make any likeness or representation of himself. 
Now, in the light of that, why is it that in the church we have statues of Jesus Christ or even pictures which constitutes a likeness? What is a man signifying when he makes an idol? He is signifying the loss of the consciousness of the presence of God in his life. Whenever I make an idol, a reminder, it is only indicating that I have lost something vital in my relationship with God and I need this little relic as a reminder of God because I've lost the consciousness of his presence. If I am living in the consciousness of the presence of God, I don't need any little relic to remind me of God. But the making of the relic not only indicates the loss of the consciousness, but somehow there is a desire to regain that which I've lost. And somehow I would like to be conscious of God again, so I make a reminder so that I can be conscious of God. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Exodus 19-20 through when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you. May God help you in those areas of your life where you have experienced failures in your past, and may you experience God's power and God's strength helping you to overcome. That you will not be overcome with evil, but you will overcome evil with good through His Spirit working in you. As you rejoice, and the Lord always. God bless and God keep. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. What does the future hold? Is the end of time really near? When will the church be raptured? What is the rapture? Will we see the Antichrist? What about the Great Tribulation? Join Pastor Chuck Smith as he answers these and many more questions about the end times in his exciting book, Final Act. Now available in hardcover, Pastor Chuck gives great insight into man's final days here on earth. Joe Rosenberg calls Final Act a powerful, provocative end times primer. 
Tim LaHaye states this unique and dramatic treatment is both true to scripture and practical. Read about this exciting drama and get answers to your questions on world wars, the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, the Second Coming, and more. For more information on how to order your copy, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org or call toll-free at 1-800-272-WORD. That's 1-800-272-9673.